Bibles, and please turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 once again. Before we go back to 2 Corinthians, I want to look at just one verse, verse 58. Uh, I thought about going back because we were talking about suffering, right? That's a great topic. Everyone loves to talk about that. Um, and what Paul was enduring for the sake of the gospel, right? And so we wanted to say, okay, if Paul is comparing himself to these false teachers who are, who are kind of built around money and greed, as we see Scripture teaches us that, but these false teachers ultimately were leading people away. And so uh, Paul is, is uh, concerned, right? He has uh, fixed himself to... Um, not be. He is not like them. He will not take funds. He will not uh, cater to any of that. He is true to the course to the point of going through quite a bit. Paul has suffered quite a bit. And so we wanted to come back to go, all right, well, we too are followers of Jesus Christ. And uh, even though Paul has a unique calling to, um, to apostleship, <clears throat> we don't have that, but we are to be the hands and feet of Christ, I believe, at some point in our life, we too will be called upon to suffer. So when those moments come, well, we want to be convinced of the gospel, just like Paul. So we went back and we looked at those verses, the first really 11 verses of this chapter, and we broke it out, and we just said, here's some gospel facts. Uh, and Paul succinctly states it for us. Jesus Christ died. Uh, according to the scriptures, he was buried to the scriptures. So we, we, we see that confession, and yet in our day and age and in the church in America, uh, there is a lot of, of questioning regarding that simple statement. Uh, just like what's happening in Corinth. There are many who are doubting the resurrection. Uh, they simply think it doesn't make sense to me because I'm at the center of this, right, of a tree falls in the forest, and I'm not there. Clearly, it doesn't make a sound because I'm not there, right? And that's what's happening. It doesn't make sense to me. As some are saying, well, let's just turn this into some type of metaphorical. It's a spiritual thing where Paul is going to unfold. We're not going to read all of this chapter. But it goes into detail of the resurrection of Jesus. And so as we come to this, I wanted to look at this last verse because we see as Paul began with those who might have believed in vain, right, Den denying or questioning the resurrection, those who might have believed in vain, see that in verse 2, he concludes by saying, if we are convinced and immovable in this gospel, convinced of what Christ has done completely, then we can know that all our labor and our toiling and our service and our action for Jesus Christ will not be in vain. It will have impact. We will hear the words of our Lord and Savior say, Well done, good and faithful servant. Ooh, I think, call me crazy, and I think you do too, want to have that kind of confidence. So it begins by understanding, right? And I titled this message, gospel work, right? It's the outworking. What is Paul's conclusion to this is the gospel just simply doesn't leave you alone. It doesn't. 
Spirit dwelling in you desires to be a follower of Jesus Christ. The Spirit dwelling in you wants to make much of Jesus Christ. The Spirit dwelling in you wants to follow those commands of Jesus Christ. The Spirit dwelling in you starts to love the church because Jesus spilt blood for the church. This is what begins to happen in us. It changes our lives. And so here is what I'm calling gospel work. I could have called this gospel people, but that sounds kind of like the... um, the movie recently about Greg Laurie's life, right? The gospel, I forget, the Jesus people, I think they were called. No one watched that? No one saw the Calvary Chapel? Anybody? Jesus Thank you. I know it's happening. See, it sounds quite like I didn't want to take from that. So Jesus work, right? And I think for us, there is, you can approach work many different ways. I, I was reminded of uh, the sprinter, Usain Bolt, as we saw the Olympics when he ran, and it was like, is this, we're watching it and we're going, is this even possible? The guy's just so fast, right? He's outrunning everyone and he's kind of like just turning his head and kind of like he's hanging out, right? If he, it's almost like he hit a gear and he's like, I'm already beating everybody. I'll just turn the jets off now and cruise it on in. He was so fast. And we look at these moments and go, man, that's just incredible. But we don't take note of all the work, all the, the suffering he's gone through and training and dieting, right? And tra- I mean, all of that. Years of it to get to that moment. We like those moments. We don't like all the work. There was a story of a guy who was talking about work. He says, you really can boil it down. There's three kinds of workers. And he goes, just look how a piano is moved. The first worker, right? He gets behind the piano, he pushes. The second worker gets in front of that piano. He pulls and he guides. And he goes, and that third worker just races to the bench and grabs the piano bench. Some of, you, some of you have haven't moved a piano lately, right? I'm like, I'm running to the bench. I, I know pianos are heavy. But Paul calls, right? The gospel calls. And we'll see in this passage, this verse, where he simply says, right, be movable. Be movable. And that conviction leads to a, to a, a soul that will abound, that will work. And that work, Paul says, is not in vain. It has eternal kingdom impact. So 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I'm going to begin by reading in verse 50. and Listen to how Paul is, is kind of you know, going through the chapter. I'm going to read the whole thing, but he's coming in, right? He's talking about death and he's coming into this victory and there's his conclusion. Beginning in verse 50, he says, Now I say this, brethren, that the flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. For this perishable must put on the imperishable. And this mortal must put on immortality. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable, and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. 
But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's Paul's conclusion. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Let me offer a brief prayer as we look at this text. Father, we thank you once again. The accessibility, we come before you in the name of Jesus Christ. And we pray now, Lord, your spirit would be with us, teaching us, instructing us, opening your word to us, that we would be those people, those gospel people, gospel workers identified, Lord, as those who are immovable, they're steadfast, we believe the gospel, that we'd also be identified as those who abound, because we are changed by the gospel. And let us also be those who are encouraged. Even when we've, we come across defeat, or we must be patient, or we don't see the fruit of our labor as quickly as we would like, let us be those who are encouraged. Because we know all that labor that is in Jesus Christ is not in vain. So Lord, bless this message. Get me out of the way. Let us receive what you have for us today. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we work through the uh, first 11 verses, and just a quick refresher, and I'll do this quickly. I know some of you are like, oh no, he's going to take a lot of time to get through that. I'm not. Uh, what we did talk about in the, the gospel facts, right, verses 1 and 2, the gospel does not change. Even though it's tempting today to change the gospel, it does not change. It is still the means in which God saves sinners. We are all born into sin. And Paul says you must receive this gospel, stand into this gospel, because you are saved by this gospel, unless you believe it in vain. So we cannot change it. We saw in verses 3 through 4 that wonderful confession. Memorize those verses would be great. Um, we saw that it's God's truth. If it's God's truth, it, it's, most, it's paramount because it deals with eternity. The most important doctrine, right, in Scripture is salvation. I don't want to go to hell. I want to go to heaven. I want to understand how that is done. I assume that's the same for you. So the gospel must be exact. It must be communicated because Christ died for what? Our sins. There is a reason he died. He just didn't come down here and say, you know what sounds good is let me go to the cross. No, he did it on a mission. And we see assurance of our salvation when that tomb is empty. Our Savior's overcome the world. Those are facts, right? This is Paul's reasoning. This is Paul's conviction. And then verses uh, 5 through 11, we looked at how Christ comes, right? His, his, his coming out of the tomb and revealing himself. And we identified those people. I mean, it's no doubt that Paul is, is writing to these Corinthians who are doubting denying even, right, the resurrection. And, and who does he mention? The first person that Jesus shows himself to, Paul listed as Cephas, right? Peter, the denier. He also goes on, we see it, he, he reveals himself to the deserters, the apostles, to common people, right? Over 500, to the unbeliever, James, his half-brother, to the church, and to lastly, to him, the, the one who was actively attacking the church. So we see 
this gospel, it does what? What did it do in Paul's life? It transformed him. It humbled him. And Paul's life now demonstrates that he will stand at the crossroads pointing to Jesus. The gospel will affect you. And it will, and I think this was my last point from that last message, it will recruit you. That's what it does. So what are we to do with this, right? Paul has listed this out. Paul is passionately writing to the Corinthians. His desire is that they would be yet true brothers in Christ and sisters in Christ, right? And so what are we to do with this? What are we to do with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Do we pat ourselves on the back and say, good job, we made it. We got it mapped out. Good on us. No. Nowhere does Paul say that, right? He does say, preach it, teach it, proclaim it, live it. Let it exude from every area of your life. His conclusion is simply work the gospel. See, he believes that belief in Jesus impacts your behavior. It changes you. And so in this conclusion, there's three things, just three the first one is this. Gospel work involves immovable conviction. He says, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable. Be steadfast, immovable. This is his conclusion, right? Here is the heart of the matter. He is, he is coming to this. We've seen the verse uh, previous to this that we have victory in Jesus Christ because he's overcome the grave. And just like Jesus is going to come out of that grave, you too, if your body goes to the grave, it's going to come out of the grave. I mean, Paul is beside himself and saying, therefore, here it is. But I think the biggest struggle for us today is right here. Why do we not see many... And the church stand. Why do we not see many proclaim? Because I think we struggle. We struggle with believing. Is it really true? It may not be you today. I guarantee you there's some who are there. So Paul begins. Paul begins. Kind of, if you will, on the negative side, he says, okay, you're going to be faced with doubts and fears. There's going to be those who are going to come from society who are going to question you and call you crazy. You're going to get called a lot of names. You're going to suffer for this. And what is his response? Be steadfast. Be immovable. You have the truth. Don't shift from the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, it's a lot easier. It's a lot easier just kind of compromise the gospel. It'll be a lot easier when the suffering comes. Just compromise the gospel. Anyone can do that. But Paul says, stand. I cannot deny my Savior. Stand. We need to be those people who point to that confession. I believe Jesus died. I believe he went to the grave. Just like the scriptures say. I believe he rose. And I believe one day, friend, he will also, not only can he be your savior, but one day he will be your judge. That's what I believe. Paul has said this to the Colossians like this. If indeed you continue in the faith, firmly established and steadfast, 
and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, was made a minister. Stand fast. What we need today is people who actually have conviction, who actually believe the gospel. I think it's paramount for any pastor, any person who goes to a pulpit must actually believe the gospel. The first definition of leadership is to have some type of conviction about the way forward, about what is true. So don't, Paul is saying, move from the gospel. This is truth. And if you slip here, you maybe you have believed in vain. We don't change the gospel. We don't modify the gospel. We are not those who believed in vain. Our response should be not a denial. We might struggle with, with the faith element at times. This is why we need each other. But don't move away. See, everything that follows your proclamation of Jesus Christ, your suffering for Jesus Christ, your standing in the gap at that crossroads and pointing to Jesus Christ, all begins here. Paul is right. Be immovable here. Be dogmatic here. Stand here. And when you know nothing else to do, stand. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. You know it's not in vain. Stand. So I think we learn here, right, that we need to be vigilant. We need to be vigilant. I know at times we may feel like, you know, I've been praying, Pastor. I've been witnessing. I don't see it happening. We can be like that young boy, right, who is kneeling and praying, and he's, and he's disgruntled in his prayer, and he says a prayer, Lord, you know Aunt Harriet hasn't gotten married, Uncle Herbert hasn't any work, and Daddy's hair is still falling out. I'm getting tired of praying for this family without getting results. We might feel that way. Don't give up. You see, God is, is calling his people. Christ is calling his people. Be vigilant. There's a wonderful parallel here as we think about uh, being steadfast, being immovable, having our, our convictions rooted, right? Seeing it, uh, our, our uh, confession and our conviction all in line. We've kind of settled it in our minds. We've settled it in our hearts and we're immovable. We're not going to move from it. Oh, we believe the work is not my work, it is the Lord's work, and we're going to walk with Him. We're going to trust Him. See, I think these are the people who are, who are going to say, you know what, I'm going to stand here when I know nothing else to do. I'm going to stand. These are the people who don't get tossed around by any wind of doctrine or change. They're convinced. And the parallel that I believe that Christ touches on this is during the Passion Week. If you turn in your Bibles to... Uh, Matthew chapter 25. Matthew 25. During the Passion Week, Jesus uh, gives us some parables here. I'm not going to read them for the sake of time, but the first one is about the ten virgins. And, and we see that there are five wise ones and five foolish ones. And the application that we get here is that there is, in essence, within the church, there are those who profess Christ, right, who are immovable. They're not compromising the doctrine. They're not compromising the truth. They are the ones who, who have oil, who are looking. They're serving. They're going, right? They, they, they're steadfast. And we see the other five being out of oil. 
And the application is simply that they are compromising. They're not really looking. They're not really steadfast. They're compromising maybe the gospel, elements of the gospel. And when the Lord comes, they are out trying to purchase oil. And when they return, the door is shut and those who were immovable are welcomed into the kingdom. See, Jesus gives us a picture in this parable and the following parable, the kind of servants he wants to see. I believe Paul, in a sense, in this one verse, is saying the very same thing. We need to be those who are immovable. I have settled in my mind the truth of Jesus Christ. It's settled. I'm not going to be those who are going to compromise. When Christ returns, I will be the ones looking for him, ready for him, the ones who are doing the work that he's called me to do. So it all begins here. It all begins here. What you think of the gospel will affect how you live for the gospel. Because the second point is simply this, second part of the verse, the gospel work involves abounding action. Right? We see the therefore, my brethren, be steadfast, immovable. He goes on and says, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Here's this positive action, right? Here's something you are to be doing. Always working, abounding, right? Always the duration of time, right? It's just ongoing, every occasion, where you go, where you live, when you speak, everywhere you go, that's the idea of always. And he says abounding is to be more than sufficient for what is at hand. Uh, the question comes, right? Or, or the, the, what is different about you? The moment of evangelism, you are ready. I'm always abounding. I'm serving. Why? Because I have settled in my mind who Christ is and what he's called me to be. I know that I'm to be a light. I'm not going to hide it under a bushel. I know I am here. I know the great commission. I'm involved. It's settled. I used to marvel. I've shared this, um, this before. When I was a kid playing baseball, and I was the catcher. I was a good catcher, okay? Some of you didn't believe that. There was no response to that. I was. I was good. And I prided myself on throwing that guy out at second when he stole. He attempted. He didn't succeed, right? I, I had a good arm. I could do that. And every time that the, the level I played, when there was a runner on third and a runner on first, that guy was always going to steal. And when you made that throw, right, the guy on third was always coming home. That was just the situation. It seemed like every team played that. The coach I had had a little bit of wisdom. He said, Tyson, when this happens, when you see a runner on third and you know that guy on first, next pitch, he's running because he wants you to throw that ball. They'll gladly give up that out for a run, right? Because instead of throwing it to, to um, uh, second base, I want you to throw it to the shortstop. And I want the shortstop, you communicate with him, turn around, throw that ball right back. Simple, right? And I was amazed at how many times that worked. It continued to work. Even teams we played multiple times. No one else did it. You'd hop up, right? Runner going, throw up, throw that ball, throw it to the shortstop, throw it right back. And I was, I was holding the ball when the runner was coming home. It was like, what are you doing? Are you not even paying attention? See, it was settled. The idea was when this happens, you do this. I didn't have to think about it. 
I didn't have to look at the short stuff. He knew. This is what we did, right? In, in our lives, it has to be settled. When the moment comes, I've already settled who I am and where I'm standing. I'm going to be immovable. I'm going to speak. It's already determined. I don't have to think in that moment and go, well, should I stand for Jesus or not? No, I'm already going to stand. And Paul's expectation of you and of me is that we would do this. His expectation is placed on the Corinthians, who are many of those who are questioning the very resurrection of Jesus. And he's saying, this is where it needs to be. Brothers, you have victory in Christ. He's overcome the world. You should be immovable, and your work should be abounding. Be abounding in this. But here's the, here's the thing. Sometimes we think about this work, and, and maybe you're concluding that that's the work of a pastor or a missionary or, or a church planner or someone like that. And definitely I would say yes, but it's also the work of when you on Monday are shining a light in the workplace. It's the work when you minister to others within the body. When someone goes through a hardship and you bring a meal and you pray with them, that is the work of the gospel. When you build into your church and you build into the community, when you give value to every soul that lives, you are doing the work of the ministry. When you are pointing to Jesus because of your kindness, you're doing the work of the ministry. And Paul says we should toil here. Toil here, labor here. Show kindness and grace and mercy. Are we going to be perfect here? We will struggle. But this is the work. See, we might be thinking, well, that work is for someone else. It's for those super guys or those super uh, followers. No, it's for you and me. It is for the Corinthian church. It's for Faith Community Bible Church. But we must settle in our minds who Christ is. We must be vigilant. And the second word here I would put to this is diligence. Be diligent. Going back to Matthew 25, what do we see in the following parable? <clears throat> the parable of the talents. Jesus going on from the ten virgins, he said there's five wise, they get to go into the wedding. The, the door is shut when the other five uh, show up and they have no luck. He goes on to the talents. He's, he folds, unfolds another parable for us. It's simply those who come, there's one given five, one given, uh, this is verse 16, five talents. And he traded, excuse me, back up, 15, five talents to another two, and to another he gave one. The one with five doubled them. The one with two doubled them. The one who had one went and hid it. Because he knew. He knew something about the master. The master was a hard man. So Jesus, right, in the parable, he says when the master came back, he says, well done, first two. He calls the third one a wicked slave because he said, you knew. You knew that I, I am like this. Out of your own mouth, you confess this. You knew it. So Paul is saying, you need to be abounding, working, serving, going. It is those who take their talents and sit on their hands who are inactive, yet call themselves Christians. You should be weary of this. Because Jesus is saying the kind of servants I'm looking for when I return, and because this is all about his returning, he wants those who are looking for him, who are immovable. He wants those who are laboring for him because they're convinced 
We're diligent. And the work is not just preaching. It's not just proclaiming. It's not just church planning. It's not just missionary work. It's everywhere you go as a Christian and everything you put your hands to. If it's rooted and founded in that confession of faith, then we can be confident, right, that the Lord is pleased with our efforts. He's pleased with our work. This is what Paul unfolds for us. We realize that, that the element of the talents is based on evidence. That's what Jesus is saying. It doesn't matter the, the title you have in this world. It doesn't matter how important you think you are in this world. When the Son of Man returns and there is an accounting moment where he, he is uh, taking into account all that you've done or not done, it begins, right? It, it reduces itself down to some type of, of evidence. That's what he gives us in that parable. So we want to be those, not out of fear, but out of love. We're so loved by Christ. We're motivated, but these are the people Christ desires. These are the people that Paul is pointing to. Be immovable. Be convinced of who Jesus is. Begin there, and then out of that, let's, let's have a work that is abounding. Let's be the hands and feet of Christ. Let's pick up that cross and go. Let's point other people to Jesus. Let's minister to them by maybe meeting their needs physically. Then maybe we might be able to help them spiritually. Let's be those kinds of people. They're marked differently. And guess what? You're going to start doing this and you're going to find opposition, suffering, even from the own people you help. Is that not what Paul is experiencing? And yet Paul is immovable. He will suffer as we'll go back into 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Why? Why? You ever read the Bible? I know I do that a lot in my sermons. Why? I throw that out there for you. You would think about why is it so important to Paul? It should be important to us. So we go on, the last part of this verse, right? I simply say gospel work involves rewarded labor. Knowing that your toil is not in vain. In the Lord. So Paul here, as I mentioned earlier, he, the bookends to this chapter. And I think I think what we're left with is there's one or two places here that we fall into. Either we have come to believe in vain, which we have a profession, we profess Christ, but there's no real evidence of it in our lives. Or we're laboring for Christ and we're confident that our labor is not in vain. Paul says, knowing. Knowing. And it hints at this element of past tense with present tense application. I know Christ has come. Right? So Paul is saying, know that he has come, he has dealt with these things. And there is present impact because of your conviction of what Christ has done. Paul is assured of the resurrection we are to be as well i think it's interesting that paul sets this argument and he himself kind of like answers his own hesitation right in a sense even though he's not hesitant but you see him answering this your labor should not be in vain you shouldn't be believing in vain you should be laboring not in vain and he goes through the the words that we read beginning in verse 50 of saying look at the victory 
Yes, right now this body must, be, uh, must put on immortality, right? It is going to perish, yes. But this is going to happen where we changed. You will be changed. I don't know if you believe that, right? That should be at the foundation. This, this world, the struggle, the pain that we experience here, there will be a change. And I'm looking forward to that day. And this is not all there is. I am a pilgrim here traveling home. Uh, this is not my home. My eyes are fixed on a Savior who's overcome this world. This is where I live. There you are. Yes, we feel this in our lives, right? And we come back. We come back to what Jesus says. Going on from this parable, we see, right, the, the, the wise, five wise virgins. We see, like, those who are working and laboring with their talents. And then Jesus goes into the last part here where he speaks of the judgment when he comes. When he comes. He will not come as Savior. He will come as judge. And he says in verse 32, and all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them, one another, as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Those are the words we want to hear. But listen to how Jesus really lists the labor. Verse 35, for I was hungry. You gave, me, you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger. You invited me in. Naked and clothed, you naked, so you naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in or naked and clothed you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? Listen to the words of Jesus. The king will answer and say to them, Truly I'll say to you, to the extent that you did it, to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. He goes on to explain the very same thing of those who did not do this. See, the work, the reward, the toiling, the labor, it's worth it because what Christ has done. Jesus makes the work very simple, right? It's basic, rudiment, caring for one another, pouring into the church body, loving our brothers and sisters, right? We're not going to be perfect. We're going to, sh we're going to press on in these areas. But he expects us not to just simply do this on Sunday. He expects us to be this all the time. Paul says, toil here. Toil here. There is eternal impact here. The only things that are eternal, I'll encourage you with this, is right as God, His Word, and people, and when we spend time showing some type of love, right? Kindness, patience, 1 Corinthians 13. And we show this love, walking with them, being patient. 
Paul is saying that's, that's toiling. For patience, right, by itself is toiling. That's, that's a labor for those who struggle with patience. But this is what he's getting at. It is as if Paul is, is writing in one verse what Jesus is saying in these two parables in the moment of judgment. Be those people who don't, who don't question anymore. I, I've, I've resolved it. I believe the scriptures. This is who Christ is. And because he is this, I'm going to live my life this way. Because this is not my home. I'm going to store up treasures in heaven. I'm going to invest in people's lives. I'm going to be the best that I can, the hands and feet of Christ. And there will be times, brothers and sisters, where those we extend this love will be rejected by those we extend it to. But we press on because we're immovable. See, like this moment of judgment, we might respond when Jesus begins at that moment of accountability where we stand in front of him and he gives, we have to give an account whether good or bad, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.10. And maybe there's that moment of account where he says words like this and you might respond and go, when did I do this for you, Lord? And he might respond and say that moment where you were immovable and you stood upon the truths of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You remember at that moment where you stood there and you pointed to, you pointed to me. That, that, right that moment, that is when you were doing it. We might go on and say, Lord, when did I do this for you? When did I do this for you? And when did I do this for you? And he's going to say, when you were abounding in the gospel work because you believed, right, the scriptures. And then we hear those words, come to the kingdom. We see it in all the parables, don't we? The reward. Five go to the wedding. Those who had, had the talents, they were, they were double. More was given to them. And in the judgment when the sheep were separated, the sheep go where? There's a reward. Paul is simply saying this. After unfolding the doctrine of the resurrection, Christ has overcome this world be moved. Be steadfast. Take the hits, right? Turn the cheek. Keep moving forward. This is not your home. Point people to Jesus. Yeah, they're going to reject you. We're going to talk about suffering, Lord willing, next week. I shouldn't have said that because half of you won't come back. But that's the reality. Standing for his name. Because you will hear your name out of his voice. His voice, your name. When did I do this, Lord? You did it when you did this. It's the same, right? Remember Saul before he's Paul persecuting the church. What does Jesus tell him? Why are you persecuting me? When we serve, we love the brothers, the sisters of the Lord. We love the church. And we take that love to the community, pointing to Jesus in all our acts of, of kindness, all our acts of of service, those things that we can do, we point to Jesus. We share the gospel. We are people marked out as pilgrims because we're dogmatic, we're immovable. We're steadfast. I've settled in my mind and my heart who Jesus is. I know, as Paul, when he tells Timothy, I know in whom I have believed. I'm not wavering here by God's grace, by his spirit. And I'll be that one person, right, when the piano needs to be moved, I'll be either pushing or pulling 
Unless my back hurts, I will be grabbing that. Be these people, right? Be these people. And for many of us, it's just be who you are. Be that light that shines. Press on. Press on. The world is saying no. We're going to say yes. Here's the answer. Because we know Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. The truth of your word, the power of your word. You are good, not sometimes, you are good all the times. And even in moments, Lord, where, where we're left unsure, we're thankful that your spirit, Lord, grows, grows that faith in us. Just as your word says, you are the author and perfecter of our faith. You walk us through situations where, Lord, we call out and cry out to you. And I'm thankful that you are the ever-present God. You are with us always, never leaving us nor forsaking us. And I pray, Lord, for each of us here that, Lord, the evil one would not take the the truths of this word today and and steal them from us, but let this take root. Uh, The world needs, the workplace needs. Every area where we go, the, the situation needs those who are convinced of the gospel. Those who are who are steadfast, settled in their mind will abound, abound in the work of the Lord. We will be the hands and feet of Christ. We see our Savior meet the physical needs and meet the spiritual needs. We want to be those who, Lord, within our ability, do the best so we can meet the physical needs and meet spiritual needs, pointing people to you, trusting your work, trusting the power of the gospel. So, Lord, encourage us, strengthen us for the situations and the influence that we have uh, in this life. Lord, let us be a light that shines. Let us not be ashamed of the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is, Lord, it is your power to change lives. There is no other name under heaven that is given to us, the name of Jesus. So, Lord, let us be convinced of that and let us point people to you. Use us as you see fit. Father, thank you for this word. Grow it in us, I pray, and I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.